Kathy Motlatana on SAFM. You're listening to The Talking Point. We continue leading the conversation right here on SAFM. Coming up in this hour, we'll be uh, looking a little bit deeper into the Human Rights Watch World Report for 2023. It specifically looks at um, a number of issues, including democracy. And we'll be looking at those results for Southern Africa, which um, unfortunately are not looking great. It looks like we are seeing signs of regression regression when it comes to democracy in our region. Before we get to that, I think just reflections on the conversation we've had in the last hour. A number of um, you have also been sending messages and you're talking about the various initiatives that you find um, no-fee schools are, are undertaking. Um, Brian Mabaye in Protea Glen says, uh, you know, the reason that we have a lot of casual days in no-fee paying schools is that schools are trying to raise funds for resources, broken windows and other things. And as we all know, uh, the department delivers books late or they don't deliver at all. I used to work Um, As part of the school governing body, I know the facts and I was once dismissed for doing my job well, as I always speak truth to power. So that's one view there from Brian. Uh, Pam in Mpangen in KZN uh, talking about, um, you know, a lady who works for her who has a child in grade one at a no-fee uh, paying school. Last year, they had to pay 500 rand for the graduation uh, ceremony. And she says in all of the pictures um, that were taken, there were gifts that were handed out to dignitaries, um, but the children only got juice. And when they worked it out, the school had raised 25,000 rand for the function. Um, and she wanted to know whether or not um, this is legal. They are also going to be asking uh, the schools for a breakdown of the cost. And, and I think the message from Matakanya is clear. As parents, as guardians who have um, learners in schools, the responsibility rests on you to get involved in what is happening in your school. So it's, it's not enough to drop your child off on time and to pick them up on time and to make sure that, you know, you've bought what the school has said they require. Yes, Sia, I'm looking at you. It's my technical director. He's got this look on his face like, what are you saying, Kath? I'm telling you. It's not enough just to fulfill the requirements. You have to go a step further. You have to be part of the schooling community. When there are meetings called, attend those meetings. But don't just be there. Participate in those meetings. Give your feedback. Give your contribution. Because that's how then you lessen the chances of seeing things that are happening in in your school that you don't necessarily support because when you are raising your voice you force the the you know the the community the schooling community to actually then if there's a policy that's taken that you believe is unfair, you're pushing them into the middle ground than perhaps what they would have wanted to do um, in, in, in the first place. So let's all get involved. And then once we've been part of the process, um, we have more legitimate grounds to complain than when we've not been part of the process and decisions are taken, we are not there, they're taken on our behalf and we want to complain when things are already done. But uh, I think there would be a lot of value in having more of these conversations.
Well, let's get straight then into our final conversation of the morning. The Human Rights Watch World Report 2023 revealing that the Southern African region is sliding backwards when it comes to democratic processes. Some of the things that it has noted include abductions, torture and the silencing of political activists that is still taking place um, in the region. Another big concern is the anti-immigrant sentiment and xenophobia um, that is particularly recorded for a country like South Africa. Ellen Ngari is the Africa Advocacy Director at Human Rights Watch and joins us this morning. Ellen, good morning. Thanks for your time. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you for having me and good morning to your listeners as well. Let's speak more broadly about this world report that the uh, Human Rights Watch conducts every year. What does it specifically look at? Thanks, Kathy. The World Report uh, 2024 that Human Rights Watch launched on Thursday, the 11th of January, in which your listeners can um, have an opportunity to look at in some more detail on our website, www.hrw.org, really looks at the 100 plus countries that we work on, the trends on human rights in the preceding year, and comes up with conclusions as to what the next year should look like. So um, for, 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 for a better um, understanding, I think, um, on the African continent, we've seen a number of um, some decline in human rights um, protections over the years um, in the countries that we work on. And then the sort of uh, activities and initiatives that states as well as regional bodies should take in 2024 to remedy these uh, human rights issues. This is a world report. So while we will be focusing on um, the region more specifically for the purposes of this conversation, you make findings uh, really about countries all over the world. Yes, that's right. So the findings are really um, a, a, um, a summary of the research that um, Human Rights Watch has conducted in 2023. Um, and our, I would say that our theory of change would be that we conduct evidence-based research on the ground um, in the countries that we work on, engaging with um, civilians, with citizens of countries, trying to understand the human rights um, issues in their country, as well as reflecting then what the obligations of uh, these countries are in international law and seeing whether there are gaps and how these gaps then could be could be resolved. I think the part of the opening statement into the report is quite telling, right? A description of 2023 as a year that saw suppression and wartime atrocities, selective government outrage, transactional diplomacy, and all of this having profound effects on those that perhaps were not in on the deals or that were not part of the agreements. Do you believe that there has been a, a shifting landscape globally on issues of peace, on issues of security, and really the moral imperative um, that directs the, the conversations around these and, and even the positions that parties are taking on these issues? Mm. Yes, um, 
Globally, yes. Uh, we only have to look at those challenges of 2023 um, to tell us what we need to do differently in 2024. Also, one of the key statements that our executive director, Tirana Hassan, mentioned last week, um, we are seeing this slow decline in the protection of human rights uh, across the world. Um, and this is as a result of just governments reneging on their obligations. Um, there are a number of issues that um, that really have come to the fore that states are grappling with and which then put the human rights agenda very low on the priority list. And some of these include conflicts. Um, we've also spoken about elections and what this means. And essentially just the changing in uh, the changes that, that we're experiencing as a globe. We've highlighted um, the climate crisis um, as one of those uh, very uh, poignant issues that happened in 2023. Uh, we highlighted specifically that 2023 was the hottest year in 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 our existence as 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 human beings. And what does this mean then in terms of human rights? Um, the report speaks about this, and very happy to get into some more detail on this, Kathy. The the issue of selective outrage is an important one. And I think largely because of the kind of polarization that we are seeing, um, not only the world over, but in societies, right? We're often brought together by the things that we disagree or agree on. And unfortunately, what that has also resulted in is that um, it has led to a great deal of inconsistency in how governments respond to matters. And it's a challenge that we're seeing the world over. Speak to me more specifically about how that plays itself out in a region such as um, the, 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 the SADC region. Mm. It's a really important um, uh, question that the selective outrage that, that we have seen globally. So last year, as, as the year began, uh, one of the most defining conflicts uh, at the time was the Ukraine, um, Russia invasion in Ukraine. And a number of the uh, concerns that we had around that selective outrage is, is how um, conflicts in other parts of the world and specifically on our, our continent, Africa, received very little attention. So um, the conflict in, in, in at the time in Ethiopia, um, at the beginning of the year, and much later, or April 15th, when the conflict in Sudan began, did not receive the same attention as other conflicts um, that, uh, that had received. And the most important one is the one that I said, uh, Russia's invasion in, in Ukraine. And then much later, we saw then the, the Israel-Palestine conflict unfold after October 7th. And and there we 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 highlighted what seems to be double standards in terms of international communities' interventions and just how prolific and vocal they are on a number of issues. Um, not so on the African continent, but there was a little bit of some hope um, towards the end of the year when we saw South Africa then um, take up a case at the International Court of Justice. Uh, we we saw that um, you know uh, despite all the countries just sitting back and really not responding to the excesses uh, of the state of Israel in in Palestine, 
after October 7th, South Africa was not quiet. But I would be remiss uh, not to mention that we expected South Africa um, also to demonstrate this same spirit of not standing by atrocity crimes in other conflicts, um, like the ones that I mentioned in Africa, um, such as Sudan and the ongoing crisis in the Sahel. And it is this perhaps lack of consistency or even some may go as far as calling it hypocrisy that underpins the way in which um, states have been engaging with each other. What makes Human Rights Watch concerned about democracy in the region and the extent to which there are signs that there there's a regression in democratic principles? Mm. So the growing trend um, that Human Rights Watch has observed on the African continent in 2023 has been what we are calling democratic and political backsliding. And this has really led to a steady decline in human rights protection and guarantees in the region. Um, In Southern Africa specifically, much closer to where we are now, Historically, we have been faced with um, political instability and issues related to freedoms of expression, of association and equal participation. Um, But the lack of tolerance for political plurality, uh, really, which is directly proportional to some of the cases that we have seen um, in the region of abductions and arbitrary detentions, tortures and killings of opposition activists, this is really the concern that that, that Human Rights Watch um, is, is raising at, at this point in time in, in our intervention in the World Report. Um, and, and we are hoping that this year, 2024, we'll see um, governments standing up. Uh, there's a number of elections happening this year, even in our region, in Botswana, Mauritius, Mozambique, Namibia, and, and here in South Africa. Um, so, you know, we, we are really on the watch to see that uh, rights are protected in this country, in, in these countries in, in this year. All right, we'll continue the conversation in a moment. We're speaking to Ellen Ngari. He's the Africa Advocacy Director at Human Rights Watch. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation on the talking point, unpacking the World Report 2023 by Human Rights Watch. Ellen, I want to speak about this issue of um, plurality of voices in the political space and the extent to which you feel there's very little tolerance for that. How do we differentiate between what sometimes become um, in in intra-party politics versus what is inter-party politics and that then resulting in what ultimately we can perceive as political intolerance but really is due to individuals that have been associated um, with a particular party fighting each other. Oh, Kathy, I see you have brought out the big guns of questions. Um, very interesting one. Intra-party politics and inter-party politics. Look, we do not, um, as Human Rights Watch, um, make commentary on uh, on party uh, relations or statements. What we are really concerned about is the expression, the freedoms of expression and association that come with um, being part of political parties and political plurality. 
And what we have seen in, uh, in towards particularly the end of, of last year as the number of elections in a number of Southern African countries um, um, happened, is the contestation um, by by opposition members in in a number of countries, and here we're talking about um, uh, DRC, Eswatini had its parliamentary elections, Zimbabwe had its national elections, and just the the the, the closing of spaces of those electoral processes and outcomes that were marred by irregularities that those really were indications of a, 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 a lack of um, uh, um, uh, uh, guarantees of the rights to, to freely express oneself uh, politically, to associate with a political party, uh, a political ideology uh, or movement. And lastly, just equal participation um, in, in, in the national determination uh, from a political point of view. And, and so this lack of uh, tolerance um, in, in, in this political plurality is what really has exacerbated the, the, the human rights violations that really tend, which really increased them. And, and I mentioned them, it was the arbitrary um, detentions that we saw in, in these countries, um, um, particularly the targeting of opposition activists, the killing of activists, in uh, in August uh, last year, we produced a a report that looked into the elections uh, just prior to the elections in in Zimbabwe, and just the atmosphere that uh, that was prevalent um, among among political activists, and really um, the, the the targeting the targeted killings of opposition activists in that country really was of great concern. But you know, much further south in Eswatini, I mean, we saw we saw at the beginning of the year um, last year in 2023 the killing of Tulani Masego, which uh, really had such a significant blow, uh, not just uh, only to his immediate family. Um, he was shot uh, at point blank in front of his wife and and two children on January 21st. We're now one year into this into into his killing with little to no investigation by the government of Eswatini, but it's the repercussions that this has had then on the on the political landscape in Eswatini. So there were par parliamentary elections that happened uh, much later in the year. And the figure that uh, Tulani Maseko held within uh, the political sphere um, it was was quite was one that was unifying among political parties was one of, um, of of conciliation and really that plurality which Eswatini has lacked for a number of years. And so taking him out, and um, now we understand there are threats also to his late wife, to to his wife, um, who in herself she is a human rights defender in herself. We are seeing these threats really undermining um, that capacity of of civilians in that country to express themselves freely. Mm. The the other concerning thing is also a question of of accountability. Because in the midst of all of this, um, you have regional bodies that will be tasked with, you know, holding each other accountable as countries that belong perhaps to a specific block. But we're not really seeing um, some of these bodies follow through 
uh, on accountability. Mm. And I think that's true, not only for for the SADC region, but even if we go further um, up the continent, whether it's um, ECOWAS, whether we are looking at, 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 at the West, you know, we're just not seeing follow through on accountability. Mm. You're right, Cathy, and it's uh, really of great concern. I mean, the first port of call in terms of accountability should be at the national level. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate, you know, even in the examples that I gave, uh, both in Eswatini and, and Zimbabwe of, of, the, of, of, of the violations of human rights on certain individuals, we have seen no investigations whatsoever by the criminal uh, justice system. And in that case, the investigations and prosecutions um, and, you know, a year later, after Dulani Maset was killing, there has been no response from the government. Um, there's been a lot of hoodwinking. And really, accountability is at an all-time low. At the regional level, you know, a few years ago, Kathy, you'll remember that the SADC heads of state and government um, took away the human rights mandate out of the SADC tribunal, which really was our one tool in the region in South Africa to bring human rights violations. But uh, after a decision was made by that tribunal that uh, really related to land rights issues in Zimbabwe, we saw the heads of state retract uh, that human rights mandate out of that tribunal. So uh, to date, we cannot look at SADC uh, as, uh, as you know, to, to resolve issues related to human rights. It remains just a state-to-state -state, um, uh, uh, platform to, to resolve issues. And yes, um, in the East uh, Horn of Africa, we also have experienced challenges in terms of the East African Court of Justice uh, and its responses to human rights. Um, they have been few and far between. Also, very similar uh, removals of human rights protections, very similar to what the SADC heads of state right. and government did. Ellen, I'm going to pause you there. We'll continue the conversation with Ellen Ngari in a moment. It's 11.30. Time for your latest news headlines. SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Kathy Motlatana on SAFM. We continue the conversation on the talking point. We're looking at the uh, Human Rights Watch Global Report 2023. Ellen Ngari is the Africa Advocacy Director at Human Rights Watch. And uh, Ellen, we, you were responding to the question of accountability and the lack of accountability that we have seen on different parts of the continent. You've already touched on SADC and you're still making the point about what's happening in the East and the Horn of Africa. Yes, that's right. Um, thanks, Cathy. So in the East Horn of Africa, we we are also seeing um, really concerning um, uh, situation of a lack of accountability. I mean, in in 2023, we 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 did some research specifically looking at um, the the uh, land rights in in Ngorongoro in Tanzania, uh, where the Maasai have been evicted um out of their own land community land on the basis that the government of tanzania would like to relocate them to another part um so that then uh, the area that they are currently living in is used for tourism and other economic um economic benefits for the country and, and so um, when we talk about accountability in terms of how do you consult communities on such on such issues? Who gives consent on behalf of the communities? 
Um, you know, we we are not seeing this happening at the national level in that side, but also at the regional level with the East African Court of Justice. But I think the most concerning um, uh, issue for us now as Human Rights Watch is a conflict in Sudan, which uh, began on April 15th and which has seen uh, thousands of, of civilians killed, a number of uh, women and girls raped, the sexual violence in Khartoum, in Darfur and other parts of Sudan is, is at an all-time high. Um, we have seen statements by the United Nations um, Special Rapporteurs, specifically on uh, genocide prevention, um, as well as um, conflict-related sexual violence, making a very serious um, statements and pronouncements on the conflict in that in that country. Um, but we are yet to see any forms of accountability. And uh, permit me to use this word, the hypocrisy of the international community uh, amidst a number of other conflicts going on. The responses to African conflicts is is negligible. We are not seeing um, the, the 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 veracity um, of, of of condemnation of these uh, attacks in Sudan as we are seeing in other parts of in other parts of the world. Kathy. You know, as as you're speaking, Ellen, the one thing that comes to mind is is the fact that in order for democracy to succeed, um, it's not enough to just say that they're democratic processes, i.e. we've held an election and it's been relatively successful. You also need institutions that become embedded in, 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 in the infrastructure of countries that will help to uphold and to run um, the democracy. Are we seeing investment um, on the continent into such institutions? And, and, and really the point I'm getting to here is to what extent uh, can we say that, you know, countries still believe in, 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 in democracy and in democratic processes as a form of governance? Mm. So it's it's a it's a really important question that um, to what extent are states really a part of the multilateral multilateral system and also um, ensuring that this system works for the citizens that they 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 lead and uh, specifically human rights protections for the citizens. And I must say that uh, we have seen really that slow um, decline in in um, the capacity of states to ensure the protection of of, of civilians of of citizen of their own citizens, and and you know the the and it's something that we point out quite clearly in the World Report that the drivers of these human rights um, crisis and their their consequences often will transcend the borders of any country and will need the action of more than governments alone. And so our hope in a multilateral system is that um, there would be an opportunity to protect um, civilians and citizens. But even that has shown us that um, there has been very little protection. So I will go back to the conflict in, in Sudan um, last, last year, which is actually ongoing, but began in April 15th. And we expected to have seen the United Nations Security Council as the foremost multilateral institution 
that is charged with international protection uh, and maintenance of peace and security to have made a decision, a strong decision condemning what is going on in Sudan and intervening in, a, in the ways that the Charter of the UN has given the Security Council the mandate to. But unfortunately, we did not see that happening at all. Even worse, members of the Security Council, including African members, and at the time we, we had three African states, Ghana, Gabon, and Mozambique, that none of them took the responsibility. It's uh, it's what we are calling selective outrage uh, on the part of the international community, on the part of multilateral institutions um, to respond to, to conflicts around the world. And so we have not seen any any focus on, on the African conflict in, in the same um, sort of veracity as we have seen in other conflicts in Ukraine and now most recently in Israel-Palestine. How do we use all of this information? And and I guess we can use the information differently as citizens of these countries, but also leaders of this kind of these countries can use this information too. So the one thing that you know we have seen, and we're calling it signs of hope, showing the possibility of a different path um, that states are taking. Um, and, and which should offer some hope also to citizens is, um, you know, a few actions here and there. South Africa, for example, instituting legal proceedings against Israel at the International Court of Justice, responding to the actions of the Israeli government in collective punishment of, of, of civilians in Gaza. Um, but, 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 you know, we also expecting that there would be a similar out, um, response on the part of South Africa in its um, very um, um, good officers sitting at the Human Rights Council of the United Nations to actually make a stand for other conflicts on the continent. And I think it's us as citizens who can actually call our governments uh, to, to this action. What we were doing as civil society organizations across across the continent last year is looking for people to people solidarity. And it's a concept which, um, you know, is slowly um, gaining traction, but civilians, citizens just saying, we need we need some solidarity and we identify with the causes that, are hap- that, that, that are, our fellow citizens are struggling with. And we need this specifically for Sudan. We need it for the crisis in the Sahel. We need it for Ethiopia and various other contexts on the continent. And I think um, South African citizens can join this call for people, pe- people-to-people solidarity. In what ways do you think that we can begin to foster um, the kind of environment or, or ecosystem that um, uh, enables people-to-people solidarity? What what are some of the principles that people-to-people uh, solidarity is, is leaning on? So these sorts of conversations like we're having this morning and inviting um, uh, citizens, um, just you and I, we are ordinary citizens of, of the countries uh, on the continent, inviting us to to have discussions around these issues, understanding what's going on in other parts of of the continent, understanding the challenges that our our counterparts are experiencing on on their side of of the world, and trying to put ourselves in their shoes. 
Um, that is one of the first steps that I think uh, we could take to try and um, and really espouse the claims of of, of those of, of those citizens, but also pushing then our governments to do something about it, um, uh, not just sit back and hope that these discussions will happen. When we talk about um, these regional institutions, um, whether it's at the United Nations or at the African Union or at SADC, we are the United Nations, we are the African Union, we are SADC, we are the citizens that actually form these institutions, and we must find ways of engaging our governments as citizens on these issues so that when we have had discussions, when we have been able to identify with the causes that are going on um, in, in the continent, then impress upon our leaders to take action in in line with um, the, 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 the sentiments that the people wish. This, I think, is part of the people-to-people -people solidarity, Kathy. Let's talk about the opportunity that um, the various elections that are taking place in the region this year, the, the opportunity that you believe that those will present in the context of this conversation. Mm. So uh, this year, we, we actually are going to see a number of elections going on. Um, uh, globally, obviously, we'll be looking at uh, the US and we'll be looking at the UK. Uh, and, and you know why this is important is because for us here on the African continent is then just, again, going back to the multilateral forum and just the, 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 the capacity that these two countries, among others, have at, uh, at at this multilateral fora their voting capacity i believe that um you know once we 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 are able to understand uh, those geopolitics then we'll be able to see how then the multilateral forum such as the un um how they would intervene then on our continent in africa but getting closer to home Botswana, Mauritius, Mozambique, Namibia, and of course, here in South Africa, elections will hold in 2024. And, you know, if you were to compare with what happened last year, um, we we certainly are seeing um, a great concern about um, the capacity of, 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 of political parties, as well as plurality then to 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 really lead in terms of um getting citizens uh, to to exercise their rights to vote so we are hoping that um these these elections coming up will give an opportunity for that political plurality but of course we are yet to see and we are hoping we are just hoping for the best uh, the last thing that I think will be important for us to reflect on before we wrap up our conversation is um the the experience that in particular um, groups at risk, as you define them, are facing, and these include um, on issues of migration, especially for a country like South Africa, you are recording growing attacks on, on, on refugees, um, but you've also highlighted what you describe as a silence and an inaction of government. Um, in the face of anti-immigrant hate speech, um, and this is in particular for South Africa. Yes, um, so xenophobic attitudes and violence really have continued in the post-COVID-19 um, context in South Africa, and this is some of the um, unfortunate uh, findings that we have been able to, to document in 2023 concerning South Africa. 
And of course, um, one of the most concerning um, issues has been the rise um, of the anti-immigrant vigilante group Operation Dudula um, that has carried out a number of activities, um, including preventing immigration uh, uh, patients from accessing um, uh, facilities uh, in, in, in healthcare facilities. And really, this is a violation of um, the constitution of of the of the country, which, uh, as you know, um, calls that um, everyone in the country, regardless of their nationality, the fact that you're in this country, regardless of your immigration status, you have the right to health. Um, and and so, you know, we we are seeing a reneging on the part of 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 of, of the government in terms of calling. Um, these actions um, to cease. We need that these actions come to an end. Um, uh, we cannot continue um, uh, no matter what, what um, justification may come out. The constitution, which is a grand norm of the country, really is uh, what should guide us. And without a constitution, without abiding by the rule of law, then we are going to a state of anarchy. And there has been a number of court decisions also around these issues. Um, you know, we can talk about the Zimbabwean exemption permits as well, um, and, and and the number of challenges and and processes that uh, that that have gone on um, in, in in the courts, and how the Department of, of Home Affairs uh, would also need to um, to step in in line with uh, decisions of, of the court. Um, so, without this happening, then we are seeing institutions and, and specifically um, the executive undermining another government's arm, which is the judiciary. And, and this is really um, a recipe for disaster in terms of democracy, the rule of and the rule of law in the country. Ellen Ngari, let me thank you so much for your time. He's the Africa Advocacy Director at Human Rights Watch. That's where we leave it for this morning on The Talking Point. Coming up next is the book reading. We continue with Daddy Issues, written by Ungabedze Retabile Masobe, read by Lerato Mvelase. The stallions of Burkina Faso are searching for all the three points against